you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. On behalf of the band and the Ramones, we thank you for making it here tonight. The last show, uh, whatever, I'm sure you had big plans, you had tickets, I hope uh, you were able to find an alternative date that night, so you weren't lonely. And away we go! You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience, featuring... Mr. Stone Gossip! Fucking camera in the truck. now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and we're sitting here right now on episode 201 it's not much of a milestone but hey you get to listen to it just like all the rest of them all the other 200s they were a listening experience so 201 doesn't change that when we do change that when it just becomes a visual experience without any audio we'll let you know We'll let you know. Hopefully, there'll be some captions on that. Anyway, today we are going to go back to 1995 and do Las Cruces, New Mexico, a show that was kind of in this little September patch here because of the Polo Fields show that Ed had food poisoning and they didn't cancel it, but Neil Young came on stage and and it kind of ended up canceling a couple of other shows that followed it. So there were four, I believe. Well, if you count the San Diego ones, which are a different situation, but there was Phoenix, there was Las Cruces, there was New Orleans, and there was Austin that they had to go back and do in this these four days in September of 1995. We haven't talked about one of these four days yet, but today we're going to get to one of them in Las Cruces. And we're also going to tell some stories. This one is a Patreon request, but we're going to tell some stories that happened on the tour, stuff that, you know, Ed talked about and kind of giving you a little bit of background into what happened there. So it should be really interesting and some really good stories, some emotional ones. So hopefully you guys are excited for the ride. Let's talk a little bit about the tour too. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. 
Yep, we've only got one show left as we record this. We don't know what happened in Denver yet, but that should be a good one if the end of tour shows from previous are uh, are an indication. And it's just going to be a big celebration because we talked about it for so long, like they really needed to get through this leg to build some momentum and to really have some positive feeling behind them going into next year. And hopefully we're going to get that. So yeah, it's, it's exciting time. Yeah, I, I think the, the big hang-up was within the, that three-show stretch that everybody was kind of worried about, and everybody, well, I, I'm looking at you, John, not yep. looking, but I'm talking yep. to you, worried about the St. Louis show being the third of the three, and that ended up being one of the best of this run. Oh, it was it was incredible. I mean, I hadn't felt that kind of energy in a building in a Pearl Jam show in a long, long time. Can't wait to go back and listen to it and talk about it at, at some point on the show because it was just how I was blown away by the crowd and the band and what they were able to do on stage, you know, regardless of the set list and things like that, you know, even some of the songs that I normally don't go back to were very impressive and were part of that early run in that show that just blew me away. I, yeah, if, it, if it's anything like that, then we're in for a treat. So this was easily your favorite of the three, right? Definitely. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also thought that their connection with the crowd in St. Louis, like he, he went back, he saw a guy that was drumming. I wasn't too far away from this guy. He saw a guy that was kind of air drumming and he's like, oh, you can take Cameron's place or something like that. I thought that he was kind of on top of, you know, what's going on in the crowd and kind of reacting and, and, and chatting with them a little bit, which I don't think he really did at some other shows. Like MSG is not really the place for that because MSG is just so massive and you want to get to sort of the bigger things. Of course, it was an important date. And, you know, a little bit in Nashville, but not too much. There was a guy, uh, his name is Mike, that was holding up the, uh, this is my 185th show sign, play Smile. So they got to that. But, yeah, like, I I just thought that St. Louis just had, it it felt like everybody was part of the show there. You know what I mean? Like, not just the performances that were amazing, not just the, the crowd that was incredible, but everybody seemed to be wrapped around what was happening that night. Yeah, it was that kind of communal experience that we talk about, you know, that we missed for the last three years or so. Yeah, it was it was a really special night, and I was, I'm glad that I got to be there in the building for it, and I'm sure you are too. What bootleg are you excited to listen to from all the other shows that you haven't seen, that you didn't Ooh. get to see? So, yeah, excluding Nashville, Louisville, St. Louis. Yeah, probably Oklahoma City. I mean, that one's, really? you know the most recent one that we have and like yeah they, they got habit and alone and uh, all kinds of cool stuff so i'll be listening to that one too because I, i'm interested to see if they were able to kind of keep that momentum going and we had kind of heard that there was a little bit of fatigue on that night from them maybe got got cut short a little bit that's when i'll be interested to go back in here and really dig into and see what see what it sounded like yeah, I think that out of the shows, the the six that I went to, like St. Louis and Camden are going to be the first two that I gravitate towards. But out of the ones that I didn't get to see, which really aren't many at this point, I want to listen to Ottawa. Because everybody that I talked to this past weekend, when meeting people up for the shows, wherever they were, everybody said that Ottawa was just a, a, a party and just like a big atmosphere and everything like that. And I, I guess that from the live stream, 
I didn't really comprehend that, or maybe the live stream was broken up a little bit. I can't remember about that one. I think that was one that Danny did, and I'm pretty sure it lasted the whole time. But it was it was tough to sort of grab that same feeling that you're going to get on the bootleg. But everybody, it was a Saturday night. Everybody said that Ottawa was it was spectacular. So I'm looking forward to getting on that one because I I didn't really think too much of it at the time or didn't like put as much weight in it but after talking to people yeah let's uh let's go listen to that first well you know speaking of ottawa speaking of the canadian tour stuff we did happen to get some stories and we wanted to tell them on the show here and not wait for whenever we did those stories and look we can bring them back whenever we decide to do quebec city but i I feel like this is a good opportunity since it's still on a lot of people's minds. I know that the the Canadian shows feel like eons ago, but there's still good stories that need to be told. And there were ones that Ed brought up on stage and uh, I would like to share. So this one is from Aaron McKay. And, and I believe that one of our patrons, I believe his name is Dan brought her to our attention and she is the sister of a guy named John who passed away. And if you remember, they played other side in Quebec city. This was her request for that. So why don't we tell this story right now? My big brother, John bought Pearl jam home when I was 10 years old. I mocked their name with gusto. He told me to shut up and listen. And for once I did cementing my lifelong fandom at a young age. When I met my husband, we connected over our mutual passion for everything related to the lads. He had planned to propose at the Toronto show in 2020. Best laid plans and all that. As we approached our wedding date, we knew we couldn't afford the sojourn to Toronto and made the tough decision to let our tickets go. Then, the world tipped over. The evening before our wedding, as we readied for the rehearsal, word came in that my big brother, once the brightest light in my life, has set down the unbearable load this world was for him. We watched him disappear for 23 years, this permanent parting even more brutal. I put out the call on social media for Off He Goes. It's been my John song for 20 years. An army I wasn't aware of took up the mission. My friend and I made the trip. We secured GA with hours to go, somehow landed inside the first 70 in line. After Buckle Up, Eddie looks at me and says, I see your sign. I believe I got a note from you. The people on the rail parted, allowing me up. Hi. I was overwhelmed. They chose other side. I was surprised and humbled. So many lyrics mirror what it seems like in John's mind. I had no idea what it was like in there for him. I know it was loud. It was heavy. It was all spun through a web of fear and paranoia. Ed's chat, their song choice... The fact that they would have had to practice, it was beautiful, it was cathartic. To then follow up with Off He Goes was, it was something else. Eddie had his pick handed down to me after. The generosity with their talent, their time, their own hearts, it's unbelievable. To have these guys, that crowd, share the weight of it all for a few minutes, it's the lightest I've felt in over a month. It's carrying over the days following as well. Thank you to the army that loves me, to the strangers that answer the call, to whoever passed my message along to Eddie. Thank you to the lads for everything. And thank you to John, who brought Pearl Jam into my life, who loved me the best he could, even when he couldn't love himself. Lastly, mental illness is a ferocious adversary. In some cases, unrelenting, mental health care needs to improve. 
drastically sooner than later. Please know in your darkest hour that you are loved. There is someone whose heart will be torn asunder by the loss of you, by knowing the world is emptier, worse, without you in it. Thank you so much, Aaron. Uh, it's, it's difficult to comprehend when somebody's in that situation and what they're going through. And I think that the band does a really good job of trying to tap into that and pay tribute to somebody that has a connection to them. And, and I'm so happy for you that, that they did that with your brother for sure. Yeah. And that's a, that's a powerful story. And like, it just goes to show, like she said, you know, that was my song. Like you make these connections with the music and that's almost like more like she doesn't, she didn't know the guys in Pearl Jam before that. They didn't write that song for her, but she was able to, to make that connection with it. And then for them, again, like we talk about, there's, there's never been a band that's been this connected to their fans at this point in their career that actually takes the time to go and find these things and, and make these dedications. You know, they, every show you go to, you hear the, you hear them dedicating these songs and each one of those dedications has a story like this behind it. And yeah, it's just incredible. And uh, we have another story that we're going to end up telling next week because we just want to keep these a little bit separate, but it's kind of connected to this one. Part of it happened in Quebec City and part of it happened in Ottawa. And if you remember that there was a show where Ed mentioned, hey, Ashley, come on down wherever you're sitting, come on down to the front. This is going to be Ashley's story. We're going to tell that next week and give it a little time. So thank you once again to Aaron. Thank you to Dan for passing it along to Aaron and to Ashley. We'll tell your story next week. Looking, looking forward to it. Thank you. We are going to tell one more story. We're going to tell a story from Joe Kolbenschlag, who is our patron that requested this episode. So thank you very much to Joe. And he wasn't at the show, but kind of in the same vein of what the Hallucinogenic Recipe podcast does, he found it in tape trading, and that's how he grew to love it. So let's hear his little story about how he has a connection to this one. In a tape trading year where the Monkey Wrench broadcasts were highly sought after, this show stood out among the audience tapes from the second half of 95. Upon first pass, the initial half of the show didn't capture the spark that I'd heard from the era. Although Mike seemed pretty prime and ready for sure, he truly leaps out of the cage shortly. Not knowing at the time that Vetter was traveling separate from the rest of the band, it definitely makes its mark on the tapes. You can feel tension on stage, and almost a gloss over of slight self-deprecation. Ed played a role of both band outsider on stage internally and band leader to the crowd externally. This show had a couple of rarities, and when you think of the rarities, Satan's Bed is in there. It was only the 15th time it was played. It's also the only time that it was played on this little run in the U.S. The last time that they had played it was in Australia in March of that year. And then we have I'm One Tag off of Daughter. That'll come a little bit later. No true covers. An almost statistically perfect representation of their first three albums with regards to the tracks played. The back half presented a fierce combination of performance and set list that rivaled some of the best of 1995's closing segments. While the door started open during Even Flow and River Mirror, it was kicked open right around I Got Shit. The final hour was a masterclass of letting their shit go above whatever internal strife was happening and getting back to five on the floor. 
The group clearly picked up a gaggle of tricks, touring with Uncle Neil weeks earlier, and Vetter timely follows the juice. Immortality, Black, and Porch are a wicked trio to close the main set. I agree with that. What we have is an outstanding 25 minutes of 1995 Pearl Jam. I always accounted the capture of the tape as to why that was. It still sounds like fresh, uncharted, Neil-inspired territory from the early Irons era. 1995 was not an easy year for the band stateside, forced to build their own non-Ticketmaster supported tours of the U.S., working with non-traditional locations and venues, untimely weather cancellations, even dealing with crappy vending machine sandwich on this night. Pearl Jam did what they had taught me to do for 30 years. When you get knocked down, you get right back up again. Play this one loud. Awesome. Very good stuff. Thank you, Joe. And yeah, for anybody that does have a request owed to them, and there are many of you, anybody that's in the Giggle Leg tier or the Horizon Leg tier, Remember, it doesn't have to be a show that, that you went to. It could just be something that you really like on boot or hell, maybe maybe one that set list that you're just like, I'm really intrigued by this. Let's see what they can do, how they can cover it. So it could be anything. And that's why we got to Las Cruces today. Yeah, thanks, Joe, for requesting it because this is one that's like one of those out-of-the-way shows that like wasn't probably on anyone's radar, but we're going to talk about it. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I was I was impressed as well. Yep. I think that in this little September run, I think that Phoenix and Austin kind of take precedent because Phoenix had the open road improv. And in Austin, I believe that one, there was some heat issues there and they had started the show early or something like that. So I think there, there are stories surrounding that as, as he mentioned with uh, weather cancellations and everything, but this show was supposed to happen in June because of the polo field show. As we mentioned before on June 30th, they were supposed to do it, but uh, those four shows that we had mentioned had gotten canceled and pushed back until this little September part. And then, and obviously in November, they end up doing Salt Lake City, San Diego, and San Jose. So why don't we get right into it? 1995, not a bad year to cover. Wish we could cover it almost every week, but then we'd be out of 1995 shows to do pretty fast. All right, it's a Jack show here. Let's get into release first.
you're listening, it's it's just his methodical build on this one, which sounds like he's relying a lot on the ride cymbal and, and sort of a dense snare, uh, really tight snare from this. Like you get like that pop that comes from the snare and that kind of will transition into last exit in, in a second or so. But um, you hear Ed's voice starting to crack a few times. Good version, but I didn't think it elicited like one of these powerful emotion. It invited you into the set and sometimes that's okay as well. Yeah, it felt like it was more about the relaxed kind of feeling of it. And like you said, like the build, like some versions of release are about the catharsis and about the the emotion. But this is more just like, let's just do a slow build and, and let it get there when it gets there. And like you said, Ed, he wanted to really go for it, but he kind of holds himself back and doesn't really push it like he would sometimes later. And that's probably a factor of it being 1995 and that was kind of where they were at with some of the stuff but yeah releases again listening to jack on some of the 10 songs is always very interesting the way he kind of plays them differently and this had kind of more of like a loose kind of relaxed feel to it yeah i can see that also look at the next stretch that he has for i was gonna say the next four but it's really the next seven that is going to happen right here if you don't do it during release then at least four or five of these songs are going to get so why don't we hop right into the first four kind of package them all together it's last exit spin the black circle animal and tremor christ and the thing that perked my ears the most is just that how tight in the pocket everything was sometimes in the jack era they'll really start to ramp it up they'll start start revving up and what happens is they'll go through like the first eight or nine songs and it'll feel like that and they'll be like whoa this is a whirlwind of the show and then the rest of the show it's almost like they they got dizzy and sort of just kind of collapsed a little bit and they can't kind of managed to to keep that pace throughout the rest of it so the way of how tight this is it definitely sets the tone for the rest of what's going to happen because then you know once you get into later as joe joe had mentioned that immortality black porch run it is one of the best of this show like they're really able to pick it up here and they're really able to kind of bring something exciting to the table what performance of these four that we just mentioned is the one for you here Actually, I thought it was probably Tremor Christ. That was the one where Ed really goes for it. You hear him push it on that, the angels. Oh, I loved it. Line there, yeah. Very, very good. moment in last exit which I thought was a little more deliberate than it normally was he says four days not much longer I thought that was maybe referring to these four shows like they're just going out for these little four replacement shows and he's got that on his mind that they're just going to be doing the four days and then going back home for a little while so that was a cool little lyrical change but again you're getting six out of the first eight are from Vitalogy here out of a total of nine and like i I don't know if we have stats on that, but I think 
this has got to be up there with the most vitality that's ever been played at one show. I think Nothing Man is the only true song that they don't do, you know, besides, you know, Bugs and some of the other stuff. But yeah, very, very impressive. I just love this much vitality early on. It really gives the show a lot of energy early. So what you're saying is they played every single song that was basically in their live repertoire at the time because Nothing Man wasn't. Right. And Bugs obviously wasn't in, and yep. the rest of the stuff. That's that's pretty solid for that. And they all sound terrific. The last exit and spin a black circle were, were tight and then Ed's allowed to elevate his voice. It sounded really good from this era. And just like high octane pace on a couple of these. And I, I agree, Tremor Christ, that, that line in Tremor Christ, the triumphant are the angels where he just goes for it, just sounded terrific. And even like when they start jamming in Tremor Christ, it kind of feels like it gets a little bit psychedelic the way that Stone's kind of doing that little riff thing there. So maybe yeah. That's going to come back later. Yep. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. So why don't we get to the next three? It's Corduroy into Whipping and Not For You. I thought right off the bat that Corduroy was just fantastic. Just a great drive to finish the song and just gets that crunch towards the end. Jack, where he doesn't have to do more to fill the spots, and you know how Matt sometimes he'll he'll get faster, he'll start kind of revving the engine a little bit, but Jack is almost like unflappable. It's the rest of the band that is starting to kind of speed up and and sort of pick it up with Jack. I think that that just sort of drove this version of Corduroy right here. And then there's a little bit at the end, they sort of let it dissolve a little bit and just has this little kind of twinkle that they kind of let sit there for a second. I thought that that was really cool too. Yeah, 1995 Corduroy. I mean, you know, Soldier Field is probably the gold standard, but this one's also, I am with you, very, very good. I thought the ending was just amazing. We didn't mention, too, the Ramones actually opened up these shows. That's true. Yes, um, they did. There's a little bit of a Blitzkrieg bop tease there after Corduroy. But for me, I thought Not For You was the highlight of this section. Just they, they really extended the ending. It goes on for over six minutes. Yep. And, it, you know, it's, it's not the call and response, not for you, six minutes that you get now. It's all pure energy, just like in Corduroy. They're just going for that ending. The jam is just incredible. 
Yeah, there are good surges and not for you that really pick up on it. It just continues like to build and build and build. And then that last one where Ed truly starts ripping into it and it, you feel the, the big moment with the massive scream leading into, of course, a killer stone solo. Like, And the ending, as you kind of mentioned, is, is longer than usual. Just kind of that little, almost in the same way that I kind of mentioned in Corduroy, yeah. the way that they did 1995, it just sort of dissolves out a little bit. I thought that that was very good. here on the behalf of the band and the Ramones. We thank you for making it here tonight. The last year, I'm sure you had big plans, big tickets. Hope you found an alternative date that night so you weren't lonely. All right, Las Cruces, this is for you. They go right in the small town. It feels like we don't get a lot of 1995 small towns at all, but this one kind of filled out more of an arena rock version. Some good fills from Jack in this one, and Small Town's going to go into both Wygo and Jeremy. And Wygo is interesting from this era, too, because you got to think, Wygo was pretty much dumped after this little run. They didn't play it at all in 1996, so this is kind of one of the last ones that they would pick up on. it. And it kind of had me thinking as to, sometimes we bring it up, the why. You know, why was Wygo dropped? And from listening to it, you know, some of those that you can listen to, you're like, okay, that's definitely not in Jack's wheelhouse. And Wygo is different, but I don't think that it had anything to do with Jack. I think it was just, let's pick a couple of 10 songs to keep in there, and then the rest we're just going to leave totally on the back shelf. And then once Matt came in in 1998, they didn't even think about it anymore. Yeah, it might have just been more of, because, you know, there were some that were deliberate, you know, your your leashes and your glorified G's and things like that, Dirty Frank. But this one, yeah, I think it's probably just a, yeah, they probably just, like, didn't play it for a little while. And then after you don't play it for a little while, you kind of move on to other things and you get no-code songs starting to work their way in the next year and then yield songs. And it just kind of got forgotten about, it seems like. Because, yeah, the it does have a great drum part, as we know. Like, it seems like Jack would have really shined on it. It would have been interesting. But, yeah was not to be didn't come back until 2003 i think that now where sort of the evolution aspect of that is you look at it then it's a completely different song now where it can kind of be utilized 
in so many ways because 10 is becoming the nostalgia record that is the nostalgia record so you know whenever you play what would be considered a non-hit off 10 that's to a lot of people that only go to those shows that's in their local area where they're kind of like okay I'll, I'll just go and see Pearl Jam that aren't 10 club members or anything like that why go is exciting for them and they kind of make it exciting it's usually like right smack in, in the early part of the set or, or getting kind of the late main set there so it becomes kind of an exciting moment now one where Mike kind of runs around the stage and solos and everything like that it just wasn't that in 1995 so they definitely found a way to work with it in a way where they really got to like it what'd you think of jeremy on this since it's part of this i thought the crowd's really digging it the crowd's helping him out on kind of mm-hmm. that last part with the the uos and all that it's really a song that's in flux at this point this one does have a little bit of a different intro and i just don't think they really know what to do with it it was changing almost every night every time they played it it was changing a little bit so it's really a song that was kind of in transition at this time but yeah, the, the crowd like really jumps on that chorus at the end and really gets on it. So that maybe made them think like, oh, maybe we do need to go back to that original version at some point. All right, next section over here, we're going to start to pick up. We're going to start to kind of find some things here in the set. I think that around go is where they really start to ramp a little bit. And then we're going to get daughter in a second. That That's going to be a good talking point here. I think that after the first part, we're starting to get moments here where it's starting to feel like there's things that people in the crowd are going to remember and going to take home with this go uh it was weird ed said that this was the title track which it's it's not it's just a a track off the second record as he would correct himself but it feels like in go ed is losing his sanity more and more throughout the song he speaks sings a few lines and he kind of does the don't go on me don't go on me kind of does that he completely buries the line in the first verse but leave it to mike because that was a scorcher of a solo it just burned down a forest full of trees with that yeah and especially you know coming off of the little I wouldn't call it a, a cooldown section, but you did have Small Town, which is a change of pace, and then you had the two kind of ten songs, which you mentioned were kind of nostalgia at this point. Go, it felt like, was the beginning of, like, all right, let's get back into what our comfort zone is right now. And he was ready to, to let loose on some stuff. Yeah, Go is very, very intense. The spoken don't go on me. I think that adds a little bit of tension to it and it really sounded like i agree like mike was let out of a cage on this and this is the beginning we're gonna you're gonna we're gonna start getting just great performances of the show right here till the end of the set
there's dissident and then Satan's bed. I think that Satan's bed is definitely something that needs to be mentioned here. As I kind of mentioned before, it is only the 15th time that was played and it's the only performance of the song on the U S run that they did. So you have to think going back to like the red rock shows and Milwaukee and soldier field and a little bit afterwards in, in San Diego and Salt Lake city, this was the only show where they brought Satan's bed at and it kind of after this really just sort of faded into oblivion and you know we, we've joked about it before we've joked about uh, they, they can never really find the perfect version of this and you know that there's there's some truth to that but look I think that it has its moments on this one you can definitely feel some of the rust but Ed I think makes up for it because he's getting pretty unhinged in parts, kind of a little bit uncomfortable, but I think that like Ed starting to go off and, and starting to scream some of those lyrics is, is helping at least the performance aspect of it and the excitement from it. But man, they had no fucking idea how to end this one. <laughs> yeah. The, the screaming is the definite highlight at the end. And I think that, kind of leads to kind of the the chaos at the end but the thing that stuck out to me on this one is i believe it's a stone solo as well just a fantastic solo sounded really fluid and melodic if it wasn't stone i'd be surprised yeah again one one of the best versions of satan's bed we've ever heard and it even leads stone to get on the microphone and give like a wow how about that like stone Stone was impressed so if you can impress stone then you're doing something good they only played it the one time like should have been doing this every night look it's kind of considered the deep cut of the record it's yeah. only been played 39 or 40 times 39 once, once this year yeah and uh, i believe in paris mm-hmm. i don't think a lot of people sort of think about it when they're like ah what deep cut do you want tonight i don't think a lot of people are going back to satan's bed but it's one that i'm sure people are just like oh man a lot of people that need certain vitality songs are thinking it's satan's bed definitely kind of need that to fulfill collection and all that. I, I think now that they kind of are able to put it together, but there are a lot of quick changes in that song, make it a little bit haphazard at times. So I, I, I get it. I get the difficulty with it. As I mentioned with Daughter, this is the next one. It's going to have a tag of the Who's I'm One on the back end of it. This Daughter's really good. It just feels inspired. It feels like the band has some bite on it. It feels a little bit more distorted than we're used to. And like Ed has no intention of making it the sing-along type version of Daughter. He's just, he's just kind of letting his emotion out. He's kind of just letting some of whatever's pent up out of him. And it just kind of soars in that aspect. 
I really like the long instrumental part of the tag because it, it, he waits a little bit before they get into I Am One, and I really like yeah. that he's kind of like letting it breathe, and he's like, I can picture him like you know thinking about what he's going to do, and maybe he didn't even know he was going to do I Am One because we know his relationship with the Who and Quadrophenia and all that. He can probably pull anything off of that out at a moment's notice. See, I really like that they kind of let this version go, and you know they were such a force instrumentally at the time. We, we talked about on the end of Corduroy, the end of Not for You that we're we're going to talk about with Rearview Mirror and Immortality in just a minute. But yeah, like give the band some room to breathe and then let them go off for a minute. And then like when it comes in, it it even makes it that more powerful. And anytime he does a Who song, he's going to make it special. one and the thing i was thinking about with it was that at the time like he's going through a lot of stuff mentally and you know his life is kind of crazy dealing with who he is in in public and all that and he was kind of struggling with a lot of that and i'm wondering if some of these lyrics like uh you know the part about like i'm a loser and all that i wonder if he had been thinking about that for a while and that's sort of what kind of came to fruition in it yeah i could see that yeah, it felt like it just came from the soul. Uh, and also, I got to mention here, the crowd takes it upon themselves to do a little clapping section. I thought that that was great. That's one of those moments where, you know, they're not being pandered to clap or anything like that, but the crowd is invested in what's going on. They're like, holy shit, okay, this is a good rhythm. We just want to clap along with it. We're not being told to do anything. So good on them for doing that. Even flow here, even flow section at song 16 instead of like a song 11 or so in the pot. Like, like I mentioned before, a lot of these songs are just in the pocket, finds a groove. The solo really doesn't extend out very long, but a lot of just excellent energy on it. I thought that this was a really good version here. Yeah, it's, again, it's it's Jack on those 10 songs and getting to hear him kind of lock in with, with Jeff and Stone and really get to a good place on it where they're just kind of letting it breathe and giving it space. And you would not get that with even flow going forward when, you know, once Matt was in the band. So this is kind of a unique to this era version of even flow. Yeah, it's good. All right. Ed takes the mic real quick and says it's pretty fucking hot up here. How is it down there? We ain't done yet. And since we probably aren't going to play here again for a while, we're just going to keep playing. The last five of this main set are barn burners. Yes, 
They are. And we're going to start with Rear Mirror and I got shit. Rear Mirror just has just this great drive to it. I noticed that Ed did the melodic voice inflection during the I seem to look away. And I always like when he kind of brings that back. And then the bridge. I just got lost in this bridge because it, it almost sounds like they completely deflected away from the song. And they were doing that at the time. I think the Soldier Field one where they have more of a jammy vibe to it. It kind of feels like it could be something from the Grateful Dead. They sort of used that a lot in 1995, but this just kind of had you captivated and kind of had you sitting there like, all right, where's this going? And after a while, just sort of made you forget that this was even part of River Mirror. It was so different. Yeah, it breaks down to just the single riff almost. And then when it starts to build back up, then you hear Jack come in, start to get a little bit more rhythmic on it. And yeah, again, I'm with you. A very, very kind of trancey version of Rear Mirror that gets really, really good. Yeah, I'm with you. This is just a murderer's row of, of 1995 Pearl Jam right here. Yep. Ed at the end, he misses the first verse entirely. But I love hearing the instrumental on because the music is so good that sometimes, oh, yeah. you know, even though those lyrics are so just captivating and cathartic in, in every way possible, like the music itself stands out and it's just, it's so tense and it's it's building, it's building to the big moments that just getting that little first part before Ed actually does come in with the verse sounds just terrific. And then I think it sounded at the end of it like Jack couldn't wait to bite and he kind of jumps the gun a little bit and kind of picks up the pace for a second until he realizes, no, this isn't the ending rush. And then, you know, hammers away on the end. Just, just another great Jack performance. I Got Shit, I think, is a huge highlight from this show. And you know what? My words aren't even definitive of what it was because it's just a classic, classic version of this. 1995. That you don't get a better era with it. Ed's vicious vocals, Jack's pounding away, the song is in top shape, and, and you know, Mike had a kind of a different sounding solo at the end, too. It had a unique vibe to it, but like every piece that makes I Got Shit the identity that it is, it was here, and it worked. It worked out really, really well. Yeah, incredible. And for a song that hadn't even been released yet, just amazing. You know, their newest song at this point, so they're going to put a little bit of extra juice behind it. Yeah, just a killer version of I Got Shit Here. They're just going to keep building momentum. I think this benefited from being right after Rear Premiere, and it, the stuff that comes after is just going to keep getting better and better. But yeah, I agree. Ed was putting like a lot of weight behind this song at the time, and this is a great version.
yeah, it just keeps getting better and better, just like you said, because, well, we got a 1995 I Got Shit, which is the prime era for I Got Shit, but even more so, 1995 is the prime era for immortality. And I think you pretty much get immortality every single night in 1995, and if you don't get it, then it's extremely unfortunate. Great Jack fills mixed in within the beginning, and then you get a really spacey solo at first, and then just Mike lets loose on it. sort of a tale of three songs a little bit you kind of get the stark intro and then you get mike's sort of big moment and then of course you get the ending on this which is just it's gonna blow everybody away you're waiting for the moment to erupt and they start out like all right all right you kind of feel it you feel jack kind of picking his spots a little bit and then just comes in and goes completely manic on the whole thing it's just a really intense ending sounded like it was just gonna spiral control out of the end but they found a way to smoothen it out but holy fuck this is a classic immortality for 1995 100% oh, I mean yeah it's it's six and a half minutes of just pure joy almost like there's really no words that really describe what this song was like in 1995 because it's you you went through it like the way that that Mike takes it and then as soon as he finishes then jack just comes in and takes it and that this ending like you know we talked about the endings of corduroy and not for you and how good they are but the ending of immortality there's almost nothing better that they've ever done than the, the way that these songs end it really will just make your jaw drop and like they all come together and like i wish there was video for this song there isn't but it would be just incredible to watch them and i can't even imagine the energy that it takes to put this together and and they still build and you know we're still in the middle of this run here i was just on the edge of my seat for all six and a half minutes of it this is going to be my performance of the night hands down
immortality is going to lead to black and which is going to lead to porch too so everything is is just feeding off of each other you're getting immortality with that big ending and it blows you away in that crowd you're like what just happened and then black is going to hit you're going to be like whoa that's another emotional moment like a very resilient version and then porch is going to hit and you're like holy shit it's porch it's it's literally 10 minute version so you're getting all this stuff and it's you know, I, I'd I'd use the word overwhelming, but you know, overwhelming isn't it. It's just kind of hitting you all in the right spots, and it's just giving you the best taste of Pearl Jam from this era. So yeah, just amazing stuff. Let's kind of transition into Black by saying that Ed goes around the horn to introduce everybody, but calls Jeff Jack Ament. Did you catch that? I did. I did. I thought he was saying that Jack and and Jeff are so locked in together that they're becoming (laughs) one person. Right, right. When I think about Jack being locked in with anybody, it's with Mike. But shit, yeah, Jeff on this show, sure. But I think it's Jeff then screams into the mic and screams Eddie Vedder. And Eddie then calls him a fucking asshole. That sounded like Jeff. That didn't sound like Stoner Mike. So I'm gonna yeah, couldn't couldn't tell exactly, but he'll do it sometimes now. But bet he would never include himself in the introductions because no. obviously he didn't want any more of the spotlight than he was already getting. Of course. So uh, yeah, for someone else in the band to come up and like scream his name like that, he kind of turns and goes, "You're such a fucking asshole." Like yeah, he, <laughs> he, he he wanted he wanted no part of that. That was a funny moment. All right, let's get into a very soaring version, a very resilient version of Black. And, you know, it had some emotion to it, but also I think the beginning has emotion. And the beginning sort of brings you kind of that tense feeling. But then the solo gives you that resiliency and kind of gives you that sort of like, you know, the heartache is over. We can get over the heartache and we can get over it together. And there can be sort of a a light at the end of the tunnel and I think that that's what this version of Black is and there's so many different identities that come from Black you can have one that's just sullen, you can have it one that's just basically like an 80s or 70s rock solo on it sometimes you can have it where it feels very timeless where it has more of an acoustic vibe when they add the Gretsch or something like that but this one felt like if you were ever in that situation similar to what the song is presenting especially for for kids that are going to the show at the time so young and ed kind of references a little bit later that no you guys have to go back to school so high school and and college kids that might be dealing with breakups and and love loss and things like that it, it gives you the sense that hey you can look back to all that has happened but when you move forward things are so bright ahead of you and i think that that kind of captures sort of the identity of what black should be yeah this this version had some intensity behind it and it's a song that when they really can tap into the pain of it and you know the the original motivation and feeling behind it then it can really get intense i think it really depends a lot of time on what it's paired with like we talk about how you know if you're coming out of a big moment like we've talked about with like chloe crown of thorns that's a big emotional moment you need something that you can't just transition from that into like Leatherman. you need another song to kind of pair with it and black does that and i think here it benefits from being right after immortality because they're already in that mode of like something powerful and something emotional and it gets to a really good point in, in black as well yeah it's 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 a good good part of this section 
You ready to get weird with Porch? Because we're about to get weird. Love it. The 10 minute version, and it takes on a couple of different identities here. It starts out, it's kind of like a little bit melancholy, a bit darker than usual. The, the way they fall through with it, and it's like the, the solo's what, like six or seven minutes long. The solo's long, and it gets to so many different places and, and so many different little pieces part of it. But I think we mentioned a couple weeks ago that something like either the rear mirror bridge or a porch bridge or something like that sort of sounded like a soundtrack more so than a legit Pearl Jam song. And I, I, I felt that vibe from this too, where it could be, you know, anything from, you know, music happening in the back of like a, a murder drama or something like that, or kind of, it could be horror film in that way. But I thought that the backing of that, like, it's just, I mean, it's masterclass. Uh, what they're doing here especially that they're kind of working off the fly with this like they always do and they're not going back to some crazy meticulous solo that is meant to blow you away none of that's none of that here but it it just draws you in it hypnotizes you and it tells a story too it tells an interesting story which is really hard to make happen especially when you're kind of on the improv path with it so yeah, this had so many parts. What would you think of it? Very, very good. And it, it reminded me of other things that they were involved in in, in 1995. It really, I think it, it's it's a little bluesy to start out with. And then it, I thought it really got to almost like it could have been part of Mirrorball, which was obviously understandable because they were the backing band and this is kind of the instrumental jam part. But it really sounded like they were kind of channeling some of that Neil mirrorball energy into it and then it gets kind of jazzy and it felt like a little bit more of like a mike watt influence on like the kind of stuff he was doing around this time like you said getting a little weirder getting a little jazzier and i I really liked it i don't think there's another version of porch like this that that went like this and it doesn't even get to the moment where like mike is going off it kind of transitions into you know like you said the bluesy to the jazzy a little bit and then at the end just kind of like picks back up to go into the rest of the song into the end but 
Yeah, I can't remember anything sounding like this ever. This is this is so unique into itself. This porch is is definitely something that you need to listen to and study a little bit because especially nowadays this this is not the identity of porch and, and back then they had the ability to play with it a little bit Ed wasn't doing stunts at the time anymore so yeah phenomenal stuff and you gotta love when the band tries things and, and just kind of goes for it and just whatever works you know okay encore time but before we get there let's pause for station identification and talk about all the things we like to talk about while pausing for station identification and we are unfortunately of course done with all the tour stuff that's happening now but there will be a lot of especially things that are coming out on live on fourlegs.com a lot of look back articles that are going to be happening fan reports that we did you know back in the west coast and back in europe and uh, as well and i think a lot of people are just going to be ready to tell their stories uh, me included but yeah just a lot to talk about within of course these shows and and you get people so many people going to these shows on the east coast as well that that just want to share what happened you know all that stuff will be shared at, at some point in the coming weeks but you know obviously the tour reaction episodes for patreon are completed now and finished over in denver we don't know of it at this point but we will know of it very soon and then now it's time, I guess, for on Patreon to catch up on more Evolution episodes, to catch up on more of the late night series episodes and all that. And look, if we have any other ideas that come through the pike, one that we can mention in just a second, then uh, we'll get to those too, right? Oh, definitely. Why don't we thank some people before we plug the shit out of it? Let's start off by thanking he was a former patron and he joined back about a week ago. Let's thank John Cartmel for coming back in. Thank you so much, John. Thank you. Yeah. To the bonus like tier. Then we're going to thank Dave G. Dave G joined the bonus like tier as well. Thanks, Dave. Joining up on the Horizon Leg tier, he isn't the owner of the Slattery's Bar, but I believe I had mentioned (laughs) that we were going there, and I think I had said that to him on Twitter or something like that and made a whole joke of it. But uh, on the Horizon Leg tier, thank you so much to Mark Slattery for joining in and being a part of it. And guess what, Mark? You do get an episode request for the future. You do get a profile episode, which I can explain more in just a second for more content that is going to be coming in the future and yeah just a a lot out there so thank you so much mark hopefully you enjoy the experience over there let's also thank martin hill for joining on the bonus like tier thank you martin and we're going to thank three more people let's thank michelle stallings who joined up because of the raffle that we were doing for the breath campaign which is all complete and done same goes to michael ivaroni he joined for the same you know get in on the raffle and then he said oh i want to listen to all the episodes i have a long commute to work and look at that now here's where you are so he gets to listen to all the old evolution episodes and all the old reaction episodes so there's a lot to check out for there joining on once again the horizon like tier so he gets an episode of his choice and he also gets a profile in the future and a profile on the website as well and one more person to thank let's thank steve tool for joining up on the yearly bonus leg tier thank you so much to all of you Big week. That's amazing. Thanks, everybody. 
Yeah, we had talked about you know getting to to 200 patrons last week, and that was kind of a goal. But well, what is it going to be like two months before we get to 300? That's that's kind of <laughs> we just need crazy. Them, we need them to announce another tour. That's that's yeah. Right. Really, yeah. <laughs> but no, in in all honesty, uh, thank you everybody for believing in us and and wanting to contribute to us because again, like we say every week, it just makes us want to do more and just kind of makes us want to work for you guys. So, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what we're here to do: tell stories and and figure things out and give you guys the content you deserve. I am going to mention for. People that are joining up on the Horizon Leg tiers, we we mentioned that we have two new ones this week. You will get a profile episode on Patreon, and it goes to Patreon, but it is available to anybody. It is free for anybody that, especially people that don't really know the Patreon platform, so they can actually go on the site and kind of see it. And you basically get to talk about your Pearl Jam fandom and and your touring days and your collections and your favorite songs. And, you know, we have typical questions that we like to ask during the lightning round and stuff like that. So there's a lot to talk about. And we just want to talk to you about all that stuff. So if that's all stuff that you're interested in, the Horizon Lake tier goes directly into our website funding. So that is something that we could use the help with if you're interested in that or on the bonus leg tier, you just get all the episodes. You can just get all the content. You can just listen your heart out. And at this point, we've been doing this for, you know, really ramping up the Patreon stuff for about three and a half years or so. There's a lot there. There's not a lot where you can say, oh, well, I, I don't have anything to listen to anymore at this point. And if you do say that, you're lying. Not to us, just to yourself. But yeah, there's there's so much to, to go through there. Again, evolution episodes, late night episodes, bridge school series that we did in the past, uh, some other episodes, kind of like the extraneous episodes, like the Dobbs that we did, and we've done Off Ramp Cafe, and a couple of those other ones that kind of came and went in, in, in the past, but are still all up there and still all there for you to see. And Giga Leg Tier, look, just like the Horizon Leg Tier, you guys get to pick an episode for us to cover on the show in the future. 2023 is right around the corner, so we're starting to build our schedule. But we want to make sure we build the schedule with the intention of adding your episodes. So make sure if you're an existing patron or if you're a patron that's going to join up right now, then just make sure that you get your episode request into us so we can get it on the books and get it done. Because there are a lot of patrons that are both Giggle Leg and Horizon Leg that haven't signed up for their episode yet. So make sure let's let's get that in the running. Let's get that on the books. The way that you sign up to Patreon, go to patreon.com slash live on four legs or on the Patreon app. Just search for live on four legs and you can sign up that way or you can just sign up on live on four legs.com. There's a big orange become a patron button. All you do is click it and it will tell you what to do. That's it. That's that's all there is. We once again thank everybody for joining in on Patreon and contributing and being a part of our little community that's within the community here. And we're uh, very happy and proud of that. And like I mentioned, just keep enjoying the content because it just comes in fast and furious on now. All right. Well, let's get back to The Rock. We are going to hear Stone talk about a lot of towels. We have more towels than you Have some towels. Lots of towels. Hey, look at all the towels we got. There's, there's lots hey, of them. After that main set, you need them. 
I, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whoever whoever is the towel wrangler backstage is is doing their job right here. You know. Good good job, towel wrangler. Yep. Better man and alive are going to kind of be right here, and I, I package them together because they sort of have a little bit of the same vibe that I wasn't expecting from either of these songs, especially from this era. Um, overall progression of Better Man is really good, even though it sounds like something got muddied up somewhere in the middle in the mix and the guitar sounded a little weird, but it didn't ruin the energy of it. Like, it sounded, and, and there are some times in 1995 where it doesn't sound like Ed wants anything to do with it. That's just on the set because they need a fill-in, and it would be in spots where you don't really see it being in now, where it would be like the sixth song of the set used just, just a kind of a transition point or the song before even flow or something like that. And obviously now it's it's your penultimate or your your main set closer or your your opener for your encore and it's it's more prominent now. And this is kind of in more of a prominent spot coming out of your encore and it doesn't feel like it's just a throwaway as it would sometimes kind of in that very, very early 95, 96 era. Yeah, they were doing this a lot around this time, and, like, the end of that main set was just so heavy and so powerful, and, like, they're going to come out and throw a change of pace and just come out with something, like, a little more, you know, upbeat, a little more crowd-friendly, kind of a a sing-along part here. And obviously, Better Man wasn't the sing-along that it would become in 98 and after, but still it's it's got a little it's a little lighter feel of a song than what they had ended the main set with so it's a good way to kind of come out for an encore change things up a little bit get people's attention again and just kind of again like you said using it as kind of a transition to kind of get to the end of the set here and on the same path of just kind of songs losing their energy a little bit in certain eras alive in 1995, Ed was totally off of it. It just felt like he did not want to play this every night. And in parts, uh, I believe at one of the Red Rock shows, he even said, I don't even know why we do this anymore. I don't know what the song means anymore. But again, you know, it felt like Alive was inspired here. It felt like it had a ton of energy. And I'm always skeptical of these versions from 1995 because you, you know how they were feeling. And, you know, they wanted to play the not for you's and the whippings and the immortalities way more than they wanted to play the radio stuff. And the radio stuff here ends up being pretty good highlights from this. Mike sounds as good as ever on on Alive. And, you know, Jack does kind of that that what I like to call, if you've listened to other 1995 episodes, the wipeout rolling beat that comes from time to time in that, where it's just kind of this this roll up until the end that sounds really, really good. I thought it was a good version of Alive. I did think this was a little more kind of workmanlike than a lot of stuff that we've heard. And that may be, again, just coming off of all the big highlights at the end of the main set. But this one didn't really jump out at me. It's the, the next one really is where it ramps up again for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, the, we could we could spend a, a minute or so on blood here because, yeah, blood is really going to be your unofficial closer because you're going to get footsteps and lead better to end the night, which at the time they're just, they're kind of your somber songs, but blood is the one where you're going to go home saying, what the fuck was that? It's usually a massive highlight in 1995, but in this, you just get Ed doing that heavy breathing for what feels like a couple minutes during that bridge. 
and then it all just explodes to the point where kind of like in, in go where it just gets insane and he almost loses it. it it's just never ending too i don't think blood usually lasts what like three and change but this does not end it's a five minute 15 version of blood mm-hmm. And they just keep going. The drums just keep getting more and more intense. It continues to rise. It continues to go. And I'm just, again, we don't have the video for any of this. So we're just wondering what the hell was Ed doing at the end there to make it so they had to vamp or like kind of make it part of the show, you know, because he usually did some stunts during blood at this time, whether it was smashing a hole in the ground or what. But yeah, it seems like this was a good performance piece. Yeah, just the showstopper in the encore here. It all kind of builds up to this. And yeah, just organized chaos at the end there. You can't, I mean, they were each kind of just going off the deep end in their own way. I thought, you know, especially Jeff and, and Jack, just really, really interesting to hear how they kind of construct that ending and break it apart and put it back together and then tear it apart again really because it does go on for a long time but yeah ed's really kind of creepy breathing there is the real kind of talking point that kind of builds towards everything that case kind of building up that tension and letting that go for a long time and yeah this blood is up there with the great performances on this night Like I said, it's your unofficial closer getting into Footsteps and Ledbetter. And uh, before that, Ed asked the crowd, should we play a little bit more? Do you guys have school tomorrow? There's too many of you to write notes to your teacher. I got to write one to mine. And we had a long drive today. 
then says somebody's embarrassing all of us. And again, that's, that's something we don't know from just listening to this. Then kind of plugs Monkey Wrench Radio a little bit, given the FM signal, which is uh, 88.1. And then he asks the crowd, do you consider this a small town? And the crowd reacts, and then he says, y'all grow up here. They react. Are you all anxious to get out of here? Then they really react. <laughs> and then, hey, Mike Watt is, is brought up here. Ride with Mike Watt next time he comes to town. So that'll get you into the last two to end it, footsteps into Ledbetter. I thought, like, both of them, they weren't supercharged. They were just super chilled, especially compared to the blood and the immortality and the porch and all that that were just high-octane, real lot of energy. Like, these just sort of ended with the smooth landing and exactly what you wanted to hear. They didn't play footsteps a lot at the time, I don't think. And right. Ledbetter right. was is starting to find its groove a little bit more at this time but but still not seen as the official official closer just yet so what do you think about the ending of this i i agree you know this encore if you're going to graph it you know it kind of starts low and then builds up to blood and then it's going to kind of drop down and come down again like you said for that kind of smooth landing with with footsteps and lead better i thought footsteps was really really cool i always like when they kind of throw these curveballs in at the end of the set here and then yellow lead better i thought was interesting too because again kind of early on like only the 24th version it would kind of start to grow into the spot around this time but it was really just i thought soaked in reverb it almost sounded like a yeah. u2 song mm-hmm. <laughs> like the edge playing guitar on yellow lead better which i don't know if that's something that he was just trying the one time hey let's let's throw some pedals on this and see how it sounds but kind of a different feel to yellow lip better and again like after the heavy roller coaster that this this set was you needed kind of a gentle landing to kind of bring it home and again yellow lip better people still know it. it it still gets a nice crowd reaction so yeah great way to end it yeah, I think that that reverb that was on it, I think that was kind of utilized in this era the most, 1995, 1996, where, where you sort of heard that, you know, a little bit funky kind of pedal enhancing version of the guitar. So, yeah, I mean, not bad in the least, but, you know, yeah. that's it's the closer and back then they didn't know that you know going all the way into the future that it would close the majority of shows that it did it was only the 24th version so again real real young in its place in pearl jam history at the time all right let's pick three moments out of this show man it could be either really really easy you can go a really really easy route or it could be really really difficult because i feel like there is a first tier of great songs and great performances from this show. And then you think of the second tier, I'm like, Oh, the second tier is excellent too. Like the second tier would be stuff like daughter and stuff like uh, corduroy, maybe. Uh, and really at any other show, I'd be like, Oh, those are highlights, but it feels like there are th- at least three inevitable ones that you can't deny on this. So I'm going to go with number three being, I got shit hearing just a classic version of this and in its era it it just sounded amazing to me and i love what mike was doing at the end and of course jack really finds his spot on the song number two i'm going to go with porch 10 minute version it's it's classic and getting a, a solo section unlike anything that we'll ever hear and that we've ever heard on porch before just lifted this into the stratosphere and then even if you get a decent version of immortality 
it's going to end up being number one in 1995. There's absolutely no way around it. Immortality is the number one moment of the show. Yeah, I already kind of spoiled that earlier. My number three is going to be Satan's Bed. Very, very impressed. Even if you if you can make Stone get on the microphone and give give it a compliment, then you've you've done something special. My number two is going to be not for you, and my number one is of course immortality. Maybe those performances weren't as first tier as I thought, but I think it's the, all the, all that stuff is first tier at this show. That's kind of yeah, that's kind of what I'm alluding to here. That but the first tier is so so high that yeah, you, you're not wrong, and that's kind of where we get into a rating on this. Um, hmm. You know, yeah, I, I think this kind of, and exactly what Joe was saying in his story, I think it kind of evolved into being that big show. It didn't start out that way. It felt like there were a lot of cluster songs, a lot of the fast songs in the beginning just kind of went bam, 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 bam. And you're just kind of feeling just more of a collection of sound instead of like a full, like I remember those performances. There are some to remember, of course, but it's really once you get into go maybe daughter territory that everything sort of starts to separate. And I think that if all of that was in a different 1995 set where, you know, maybe they go out really, really hard for the last exits and spin block circles and not for use, which I'm not saying they didn't, but you can tell which versions they sort of have the groove in the pocket, which they don't. I'm going to give the show a nine. I think that this one deserves a nine. It's it just very, very good performances and very much definitive of the era. I'm with you. I'm going to give it a nine and a half. All 1995 shows get a little bump from me just for being amazing and having having Jack, which I always find interesting. Again, like like you said, the higher tier of the show is very, very good, and it's very, very close to being one of those classic shows, but I think it's just under that. So uh, 9.5, very, very good. Highly recommended. The next episode that's coming is going to be out of Texas. It's going to be Austin City Limits from 2009. I think we did an Austin City Limits from 2014 last year around this time. And we kind of like to hit those dates when we get them. And that was a Patreon request. I believe he's been waiting a long time for this from Dan Greenberg. So, Dan, I know yeah, he, he tunes in. So, uh, Dan, you're getting your time. And guess what? If you get to me before I get to you then just send your story. Send it on over to live on four legs podcast at gmail.com. And for anybody out there too, that has a story that they want to tell with the, any show that they've been to, you know, whether it be a, a request from Patreon or not, please, please feel free to share. Or if it's a recent one, just write up a fan report on it and we'll uh, publish it to live on four legs.com. So lots of stories to be told. And we're going to tell more next week. I think we're going to talk a little bit about Ben Harper next week, if I'm not mistaken. Correct? A little slide yep. guitar should be should be great. Last week we talked about Danny Clinch on uh, on harmonica with Red Mosquito, and yeah, next next week we'll we'll have the setup before all that happens. So that should be very very exciting. All right, I guess we're kind of wrapped up with this one now. Another 1995 show in the books is never a bad thing, and we'll I'm sure we'll get to all the September shows from that year and, you know, in due time. Anything from 1995, once it comes on our radar, we're going to jump at the gun to do it. So, hey, if you're tuning in right now and you're not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you go to Apple or Spotify or anywhere that you listen to on a platform and 
hit subscribe because it helps out our numbers. It helps out our visibility. It does a lot for us. And if your platform has a little bit of a rating on it, you know, Spotify and Apple obviously do help us out with a little bit of a five-star rating. That'll do us a lot of help in the same regard where we'll come up in, in searches and all that. Also, if you are on Apple Podcasts, we've been offering this just about every week. If you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a comment, something nice. Be nice to the podcast. If, if you leave us a nice comment, then we will reward you with a bootleg of your choice from this tour year. So a lot of cool things that, that you can get in that aspect. And speaking of bootlegs, I think that our patrons will be in for something kind in, in the next couple weeks or so once we put it all together. So uh, hang on to that thought. It's a, a gift for joining when we had 200 so and that's for everybody within within the boundaries of that all right so let's close this one on out this may be the end we're here but not for much longer and although we may be parting ways miss you already miss you always and hey look i think that we have an episode that probably came out earlier in this week featuring tanya kang of pearl jam fan portraits she has a book coming out i am mine which is a book that is chronicling her stories from taking pictures of fans holding up their favorite lyrics and what they mean to them and her kickstarter is going to finish on october 1st so if you're listening to this on the wednesday then you still have a little bit of time to donate to her some of the packages will get you the book i i've i've looked at it i've had a preview of it it's tremendous she does incredible impeccable work so if you didn't get a chance to listen to that interview definitely go out and listen to it and then go and find the book because yeah she can use all the help as humanly possible she's a fantastic person a good friend and uh, we just want to help her out as much as we can and check us out on the program this week we were both on doing the uh, eddie vetter episode that might be something this crowd would like yes yeah i think i think you guys would be interested in that take your guesses as to what the top 10 is I think you'll get a lot of them, but then there's a surprise or two. So you might be shocked at the results, but that's all for this week. And also very, very soon, we're going to have Stephen Hyden on to talk about his brand new book, Long Road, Pearl Jam and the Soundtrack of a Generation. And uh, we'll be sharing that with you in due time. Okay. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll see you next week for ACL 2009. There's a sign right here. Um, it says, off he goes for John. Um, I, believe I, I believe I got a note from you. Um, hi. Um, so, uh, s- uh, one of our community here um, uh, recently went through something that a lot of us have gone through. Um, and, and uh, it doesn't, it, it never gets easy from experience. We've all, I lost a brother. We've all in ways lost brothers. I'm sorry that you lost your brother. Um, so we want to do this one for your brother, John. And um, thinking that if there's any way he could be here tonight, he's here.
It's not the same without you up here Can't find my wheels Your absence is what breathes this fear Warm breath and all this Begging for it